So I want to start by asking you a question. How many of you, by show of hands, how many of you would say, I'm a list person? Like, uh, you like lists. Are you a list person? Okay. How many of you would say, I'm definitely not a list person? Okay. So if you're a list person, uh, like, and I'm a list person, like, I love keeping lists. Like, when, it, when I found out that I could keep a reminders list that syncs between my iPhone, my iPad, and my computer, I was like, this is absolutely amazing. I love lists of all sort. How many people, when you go to the grocery store, you take a list? How many people, when you go to the grocery store, don't take a list? See, I don't, I don't know how you could do that. Like, if I went without a list, I would come home with ice cream, cookies, and milk and forget everything else that I was supposed to get, right? Or how about, like, on uh, Netflix or Amazon? How many of you have a queue, right, a queue there? No, not many people. Okay, how many people don't have a queue? People don't, okay, wow. Get a cue, man. It's a list. It's awesome. I love lists. Now, uh, I also have mint.com, which is a list of how I've spent all my money the last year. It's just, I love lists. Now, if you're not a list person, that's okay. You, you, you can stay. Um, but if you're a list person, you are going to love the passage that we're looking at today. Because what it is, it's a list of 24 or 25 things, depending how you count it, of things that God wants us to do in relationship to how we love other people. And so we're going to talk about a list. We won't go through every one of them, uh, but I love this list here with this theme of how do we love people well. Here's what Jesus said about love. He says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. It says that the preeminent mark of knowing that you are a follower of Jesus Christ is by the way that you love other people. That's how, that is the mark, that's the preeminent mark of what it means to be a disciple of Christ is how well do you love other people? It's not how well do you know your theology. It's not how well do you know your Bible, how much Bible have you memorized. It's not how good you are at defending the Christian faith. It's not how often you turn up at church. It's not how enthusiastically you sing. The preeminent mark of being a disciple of Jesus Christ is how you love other people. And so when we think about how do we love other people, we go, well, what does that mean? How exactly am I supposed to love other people? I know that it's important. I know that Jesus says to do it, but how are we to do that in a practical sort of way? And what Paul does in the book of Romans is he gives us 24, 25 different ways that we love other people and that we can love other people well. Now, if you were here last week, uh, we talked about Romans 12, and Romans 12, 1 is the dividing verse between Romans 1 through 11 and the rest of the book. And the first part of the book has one theme, and the second has a different theme. And so the first part of the book of Romans, the letter from Paul to the Romans, is a book about, the first part is, what is the foundation of our faith? What do we believe? Why do we believe? There's a lot of reasoning in it and so forth. And then we come to Romans 12, 1, and it says, therefore, in view of God's mercy. And so God's mercy is everything that Paul talked about in the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. Therefore, in view of God's mercy, and then last week we talked about 
live this way? What does it mean to live out God's will in my life? That same phrase, in view of God's mercy, talk is that same phrase also is the qualifier or what it means in terms of beginning of verse 9 and what follows. So, in view of God's mercy, let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil, evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That's chapter 12, verses, uh, chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. So it's in view of God's mercy, because of all that God has done for you, then love one another in these ways. And then what follows, I just read four commandments there, and then what follows is another 20 or so commandments. Now, if we were to talk about each one of those just for a couple minutes, we would be here for a couple of hours. And so what I've done is I've grouped them together into a couple of different phrases, into three different kind of principles that we apply. And the first one is this, is love God's way. Love God's way. So he starts with this phrase, and he says, let love be genuine. Now, whenever you, um, the word here for genuine in the kind of original translation is a word that we don't have in English, but it's the word unhypocritical, right? That's not an English word, but in, you know, and you can take any word, and if you put un before it, it means the opposite, right? You can be unugly, which means you're good-looking, right? You can be unathletic, which means you're not athletic, and you can put un before a word, and it means the opposite. And so what Paul does here is he says, let love be unhypocritical. Now, when Stacy and I um, first started to date, she was in Texas going to school, and I was in Connecticut going to school, and I flew down for spring break to get to know her a little bit. We kind of had a pen pal relationship for a while. I hadn't seen her in three years, uh, and I began to meet her friends. And, and we've sort of worked through this mostly, uh, but I didn't like her friends. Because to me, they seemed kind of not genuine, sort of hip, not necessarily hypocritical, but they were just like this sickeningly sweet southern thing. Like, hey, it is so nice to meet you. And I'm like, you are so fake. <laughs> right? And I just, it took a while to get used to that. Um, eventually I realized that all of her friends were not fake and they were good people. But, but I had this sort of like immediate, like, you are so fake sort of thing going on. And the same is true when we talk about love. Like, if we are faking love, it comes out pretty obviously, right? And so he says, let love be genuine. But what do you do when you know that you're supposed to love somebody but you don't love them in genuinely. Tim Keller, um, who's an author and pastor, he put it this way, and I was going to put this in my own words and say, but man, he says it so well that I wanted to use his words. He says, How can we love unlovely people whom we do not like and yet be sincere? It is hypocritical to act lovingly when you despise someone in your heart. Yet it is unrealistic to insist that one's heart be warm and kindly disposed before we do action of love. So what is the solution? Isn't that great? What, what do you do? I'm commanded to love genuinely, but I don't really even like that person. 
Well, Keller goes on to explain, and he, he calls it the gospel way. The gospel way. And the gospel way is basically looking at people in the same way that God looks at us. If you remember back, um, I don't know, it was four or five weeks ago, we were in Romans chapter 5. And it said, in Romans 5, 8, it says, But God shows his lover, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And so God showed his love to us while we were still sinners, while we were still unlovely. God showed his love to us while we were still in sin, while we were still in rebellion to him. God demonstrates his love by sending Jesus Christ to this earth to die for us. As Tim Keller puts it, we were unlovely, but God demonstrates his love for us. That is the gospel way. In other words, it's this idea that love is a verb. Love is not a, a feeling of kindness or, that, or, or, or niceness or something like that, that. That love is a verb. It is that we can act in love in the same way that God acted in love towards us. And so that's how we kind of reconcile this. Well, I don't really even like the person that much, but how do I love them? You love them with your actions. Here's another truth about love. This is from verse 11. It says, Do not be slothful in zeal, but be fervent in spirit. And the word fervent, the literal translation means to boil over. Boil over with the spirit. And so for me, when I think about boil over, the visual image that comes to mind for me is hot chocolate. I realize probably not for most people, but I make hot chocolate for myself pretty much every morning, and I put it in for a minute, 30 seconds, the milk in, and then I stir in just the right proportions of, of chocolate mix, and then I put it in for 30 more seconds, and then I take it out, and I drink it, and it's awesome. But occasionally, I'll get sidetracked in, or it'll get cold, because I don't get back to it quick enough, because I'm doing something else, and I put it in, and if I put it in too long, it boils over. It comes out of the cup and boils over, and it makes a great illustration here, not good for cleaning up the microwave, but you see, here's the thing, is when it says love boils over, what that means for us is that we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. And we've talked about this in the past. The Holy Spirit resides in you. If you've placed your faith in Christ, the Holy Spirit is in you. And then what this is talking about is that love comes from the Holy Spirit boiling out from within us. And so if we want to love more, it means we focus on walking in step with the Spirit, and then God's love boils out from within us. That let the love be fervent in spirit. It's not about trying harder. I got to try harder, try harder. There is an effort on our part, but it's a lot about letting God's love shine and come through us as we grow. In this same verse, he also says, uh, do not be uh, slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit. And then it says, serve the Lord. And we need to remember that when we're talking about um, love, is that love is God's idea, and that we serve God by loving other people. You probably uh, remember that this from the Gospels, but somebody, was, uh, somebody asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And how did Jesus respond? He didn't give one answer. He gave kind of one and a half answers. He said, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. But he didn't stop there. And he also didn't say, and the second commandment is, he said, and the second commandment is like it. 
love your neighbor as yourself. You see, what Jesus was doing there is he was tying those two things together. He was saying the way that we love God is by the way that we love other people. Those two things cannot be separate. We can't say, I love God, but I don't like people. I love God, but I hate this person. He's saying the way that we demonstrate our love for God is that we love other people. John put it this way in 1 John chapter 4. He says, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this command we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. It's pretty clear that there's not an option for us as believers say, I love God, but I'm not going to love that person. I'm not going to love that person over there. And towards the end of this passage in Romans, we'll talk about people who are hard to love a little bit more. But he come, it comes up here that we serve God by the way that we love other people. Then we continue on verse 12 as we get into the, kind of the second principle. It says this. It says, Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. So here's the second principle about love, is love comes alongside. Love comes alongside. These verses as that we just read, uh, verses 12 through 16, if we take them as a whole, for the most part, they talk about how do we love people as they are going through struggles. You know, one of the things that we talk about at River Church a lot is you can't do life alone. That we're designed to live life with other people because there are times when we need other people in our lives, and there's times when we need to be God's voice in somebody else's life. And so it says love comes alongside. Then it says this. It says rejoice in hope. And the next part talks about tribulation. But when we go through tribulation, when we go through suffering and difficulties, that's when we need hope. And to come alongside in love means that you are the voice of hope to somebody else's life. Because you guys know, when we're in the middle of life being just difficult and hard, we don't usually lift our heads up to see, okay, God's got his hand in this. We just kind of keep our head down and muddle through it. And we need other people to come in and say these things to us about God's hope. I think it was two weeks ago, we were in Romans chapter 8, and we spent the entire time talking about the promises of God. We talked about how God is your Abba Father. We talked about the fact that life may be hard now, but in comparison to the glory of heaven, we can endure what happens in this world. We talked about how we may be going through something that's very difficult, but God uses that to conform us to the image of his Son. And we talked about the fact that sometimes it feels like God is distant from us. We're like, where is God in all this? I don't get it because life is really hard. And Paul reminds us, that nothing can separate us from the love of God, neither height nor depth nor principalities nor this nor that. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. 
And so what it means to come alongside and rejoice in hope is that you are the lips that speak those words to somebody else who's going through a difficult time. That you have the thumbs they're going to type out a text to encourage somebody in when they're going through a difficult time like that. You're going to be the fingers that type out an email that encourages somebody, that includes a verse of scripture to encourage them when they're going through a tough time. We come alongside people. Paul also writes when we come alongside people, he says, be constant in prayer. Be constant in prayer. And one of the things that I would encourage you to do is don't just pray for somebody, but let them know that you prayed for them because that is a source of encouragement. Pray for them, but then let them know that you've prayed for them. And, and by the same token, don't do the opposite. In other words, sometimes, and I'm, I'm guilty of this, but like sometimes we'll say, I'll pray for you, or we'll send the little praying hands emoji when somebody said something, right? But then we don't actually pray, right? Anybody ever done that? Yeah, okay, maybe I'm the only one. But you know what I mean? Like we, we do this thing like, I'm praying for you, but then we don't pray. If you're going to say, I'm praying for you, then pray, okay? If you're going to send a little hands emoji, then pray. And then fold your hands when you pray. So you're not a hypocrite, I guess. I don't know. Then it says this. He says, contribute to the needs of others. Um, And I tell you, one of the things I love about being a pastor is I get to kind of dig in deep and try and figure out what some of these things mean. But it's interesting. The word that Paul uses here for contributing to the needs of others, it's not the word give, right? It's not the word we see give everywhere else. It's a word in Greek, which is the word koinonia, which you may have heard. It's usually translated uh, in kind of in fellowship or with people, right? And, and here's why that's important, is what Paul is saying here. Is he's saying, don't just give a handout. Don't just give five bucks here or a dollar here or a gift card there. He's saying, come alongside somebody and share in their financial burden. Contribute to the needs of others by coming alongside of them. Stacy mentioned earlier that today is Dollar Club Sunday when we each give an extra dollar. I love what God is doing through River Ridge Church with this Dollar Club. Because we all give a dollar, and then we do exactly what this verse says. is We pull that together, and then we find a need in the community... And we come alongside them and we meet that need, but we also come alongside them and care for them in practical sort of ways as we give the money to them and kind of hear their story and encourage them. I love that. That is this verse lived out. Some of you all have kids in elementary school, and just last month we started the Dollar Club for kids. And it's a little bit different, but they got envelopes, uh, one per month, and what you're supposed to do as a parent is help them to earn money to put a dollar in there, and then they bring it into Ridge Kids. And then that money actually goes to a different place. That money goes to a boy named John who is part of Compassion International in Kenya. And so that goes to support Compassion in his village, and then because of that, he gets uh, a better education. He gets to come and hear about Jesus. He gets health things for his family. He gets clean water for their village. All of these things through compassion, right? That's the pulling way. That is coming alongside somebody. But beyond that, if you, again, if you have elementary kids, there's also some prompts in there where you can write a note to John, or your kids can write a note to John or include a picture. That's what Paul is talking about when he says, come alongside of people. And we as a church do this well. And, and I would even say that one of the, like, 
everybody would go, COVID sucked. You know, being in COVID, it kind of sucked. But one of the things it did for River Ridge Church is we really grew in our ability to care for people. And we've begun to care for people in ways that we didn't before or are more attentive to now. And so we actually have a fund, a fairly large fund, at River Ridge that is our congregational care fund that comes kind of from out of this verse that we can come alongside people. And we've, you know, we put signs in people's yards when that's appropriate. We give, we've given tons of DoorDash stuff. We provide meals. We... Um, all kinds of different things. We've put in like a, a lift in somebody's house that needed to get up their stairs that couldn't. I mean, all kinds of things, paying rent, utilities, things like that. We do that because we want to live these verses out as a church. But you also have the opportunity to live these verses out just in your own life as you come alongside other people. Then he also says here, he says, seek to show hospitality. Again, we as a church, I love the way that we do this. We have a, a meals team. I'm not sure how many people are on it. My wife is on it. She's constantly making meals for people and delivering them. So if you have a baby uh, or if you're sick or hospitalized or something's going on and we get notification, we, the meals team goes into action. And as best I can figure, and it's hard to kind of piece it together, but we've delivered somewhere between 150 and 200 meals over this last year of people who just need a little bit of hospitality, need a little bit of love and care in their lives. And I love that we get to do that together. And he says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So I don't know if you're in a life group or not, but one of the things that I do in both the life groups I'm in, I'm in a home group and then I'm also in a men's group, but we start uh, every kind of time together with, with a time that we call happy crappy right? Not really a churchy word there, but that's what we call it. Um, but happy crappy is when people just share, hey, this is what's going on in my life that's really good, and this is what's going on in my life or what's going on in my life that's really hard. We should probably use something more bible and call it weep and rejoice, but we don't. So anyway, um, but it's this time where we just come alongside each other and say, what's going on in your life? What's good, what's bad, and how can we come alongside you and either rejoice with you about something that you're excited about or weep with you and help you through that. So I encourage you, if you're not in a life group, get in a life group um, because it's part of how we do life together. All right, we're going to turn a corner here. Are you guys ready? Everybody kind of shake it out because it's going to get harder here. Like, this is fun. Like, like, we love, like, talking about how can I come alongside people and it's fun to do this and I enjoy that. Um, but he's going to talk about love. It's not easy all the time, but it's, we like to. We look forward to doing it. We ain't going to look forward to what's coming next. Are you ready? It says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you heap burning coals on his head. Do not, be over, uh, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, those are hard things to apply. And it's interesting. I was thinking about kind of the book of Romans as a whole. And so the first 11 chapters, like there's some difficult stuff in there to understand. You know, Paul writes, he's talking about righteousness and circumcision and law and works. And you're kind of like, 
I don't understand what he means exactly. And then you understand, and then we kind of figure out and go, oh, so that just means that we're saved based on faith and not what we do. Okay, I like that, right? Hard to understand, but kind of fun and easy to apply. Whereas we get to this, and it's like, okay, it's really clear. Romans 12, verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Like, that's really easy to understand, right? But I don't want to do it. Right? This is the hard part. So here's the third thing that we le- learn about love. Love is hard. Love is hard. Paul begins this section, the beginning and the end. He says, do not repay evil for evil and overcome evil with good. About two months ago, in the middle of the night, Stacy wakes me up. She, and this is 3.45 in the morning. She said, Matt. Matt, wake up. I think somebody is stealing your bike. And I wake up, and I'm kind of foggy, uh, and I ha- my bike is kind of up in, the, in our driveway under our porch, and it's, I hear the squeak of my bike brakes. I'm like, somebody is stealing my bike. And so I jump out of bed, not having a whole lot of thought at this point, open the front window, and I yell, hey, stop stealing my bike. What else do you yell, right? And then I run downstairs. I grab the keys off of the counter. I go out to my car. I start the car, and I start driving around our neighborhood looking for somebody who has stolen my bike. And so I'm driving around, and then I kind of get an aha thought. I'm like, you know what? So we, I know where I can catch the person. because So we live in South Hills, kind of on the front of the hill, sort of near Bridge Road shops and the bistro and that kind of area. Uh, and so anybody who has stolen something from our neighborhood, and if they live downtown, they're going to have to go down and cross the South Side Bridge. So I'm in my car. I go down to the South Side Bridge. I go down into downtown, pull back, and then there's, there's no traffic there at 345. It was not holding up traffic. And so I just sit there, and I wait until the guy is going to come across the bridge because I'm pretty sure he's going to come across the bridge at some point in time. And then I have another aha moment. I got out of bed. I grabbed my keys. I started the car, and that's all that I did. I am in my boxer shorts, no slippers, no shirt, no nothing, in my car waiting by the south side bridge for a guy to cross in a bicycle. Like, I'm at this point, I'm like, I have no idea what to do. Like, stop or I'll flash you. I, I mean, there's, what options do I have? I don't know. And then my wife, who is, thank the Lord, smarter than I am, um, so when I go tearing off, she actually calls the police and says, hey, somebody stole my uh, husband's bicycle, and can you come help us out? And so she files a little report. But then she comes, she's had the same thought about the only kind of way to get out of our neighborhood is you got to cross the bridge. And so she comes, and she drives the other way, uh, and then she sort of takes my spot, and I head up the hill back to our house. Um, to put on some clothes and they go look for the guy some more. Well, she's talked to the police uh, and then the policeman has come by here, her uh, down there as well and says to her, look, ma'am, you filed the police report. If you see him, do not engage with the person that stole the bicycle. Do not engage. And Stacy goes, okay, I will not engage with the guy, right? And so then um, the guy drives off to come talk to me. I'm up at the house and he yells out the window, do not engage. Stacy yells back, I will not engage. So we're up at my house. I'm talking to the policeman. Um, and then he goes, we do a little more reporting. Uh, and then I'm getting ready to go back down. 
And about 10 minutes later, Stacy texts. She's like, we got him, right? And so, and what happened? So the guy was coming down the hill. Stacy's on the south side bridge. And a police car was coming around the corner at the same time that the guy was coming down the hill. And so Stacy and the, uh, the police car, like, formed, like, a wedge in Bridge Road. Like, the guy had no place to go. It was like a scene from, like, Chips or Cops or something like that, right? He couldn't go anywhere. And so the guy just gets, uh, you know, drops the bike and gives up to the policeman. And so Stacy didn't technically engage. Um, anyway, so she comes home. We're talking about the Bible here. Um, so, but she comes home, and I'm like... What'd you do? Like, did you yell at him? Did you scream at him? Did you say, that's my husband's bike? Did you say, you violated our property? Because he, I mean, he really had to come pretty far onto our, you know, up the driveway to get the bike. Like, what did you do? And she said, you know, I, I didn't do anything. I just, I let the police handle it, um, which is what this says in terms of leaving things in God's hands, which next week we're actually talking about authority. If you want to come back, we're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, but she said, I just let them handle it. I didn't yell or insist that they press charges or anything like that. Um, and then she said this. She said, but you know what? I felt bad for the guy. Like, I know he stole your bike, but like, he just looked like a guy who was just down on his luck, just not doing well. He was probably mid-30s, but he looked 55 or 60 years old, and he just looked kind of rough. And, and what she said reminded me of a, a truth that I've heard, um, is that hurt people hurt people. And maybe you've heard that, but, but we tend to hurt somebody else because we have been hurt. And somebody hurts us with their words, their actions, because they've been hurt in their past. And that was the compassionate way that Stacy looked at this guy, and she's like, you know what? He was struggling. A- and I share that because what this passage is saying is don't repay evil for evil. Don't take God's justice and vengeance into your own hands. Let God handle that. That's what we're called to do, is to repay evil, repay hurt, repay animosity towards ourselves with kindness. Paul says something kind of weird here. And it says this in verse 20. It says, to the contrary, it says, If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now we go, what does that mean to heap burning coals on his head? And what Paul is using is he's using some um, imagery from the Old Testament. And burning coals on your head was an imagery for repentance. And so what Paul is saying is saying when somebody does evil to you, when somebody harms you, when they're not nice to you, Repay their actions with feeding them. Repay their actions with giving them something to drink. Repay their actions with kindness. He says when you do that, you heap burning coals on their head. Not you're being mean to them, but you're being a part of God's process to lead them to repentance. Early in the book of Romans about God, it says, for God's kindness towards us, instead of judging us, instead of seeking out his vengeance on us because he was kind to us that leads us to repentance and then we do the same thing for other people but that doesn't always work right like you can be kind to somebody and they and and it doesn't always work and you go what do i do in that case because sometimes i'm kind when they're evil to me and, and it doesn't always work with people 
chapter 12, verse 18. I love this. It says, If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Live at peace with all. And it's that phrase, if possible, so far as it depends on you. You see, you are only responsible for you. You are not responsible for how they respond. You are not responsible for whether they repent and become kind. If you are at odds with somebody, so far as it depends on you, do what God calls you to do and leave the rest to them. And I tell you, that is at the same time so hard and so freeing. Like, just do what I need to do. And it may be hard to say, I forgive you, or I'm not going to, or whatever it is. It's so hard. But then when we do that, it's like, it's between them and God. And you are not responsible for what God does in their heart. And you are not responsible for their heart and how they do their actions after that. That you are responsible for you. God says, you'll know that the world will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. And as a church, I feel like we do this well with Big Kick, with the Dollar Club, with Second Avenue Center, with Go Local Projects in different ways. As a church, we do this well. But I would challenge you this morning, what does this look like in your own life? 